Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. I had a sister who had strong faith. And uh, phone call after phone call after phone call with her, she finally one day said, you know, at some point, you got to stop making this call. You probably should get to know Jesus. And I just hung up the phone and said, yeah, you, I mean, here comes the Christ sandwich. Right. I don't want it. Right. But that was the night where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. There's so much chaos in the house. Um, highly successful as a surgeon, not wanting to ever make a mistake, but you can't function on that. That is Dr. Tom Blee, a level one trauma surgeon in Minnesota. Dr. Blee will outline his own journey of faith and talk about steps he has taken to care for others, including the families of those brought to his operating room. Welcome once again to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Hey, I'm so glad to have you on Life Support. What we do on this show is we tell stories. We love to highlight Jesus and how he is full of redemption and love, especially in life's most difficult moments. And so, so glad to have you with us. And we're, we have a wonderful guest to get us started. And his name is Dr. Tom Blee. He's a trauma surgeon at Regents Hospital. And thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome. It's Thanks great to have you. Yes. Great um, to be here. You have uh, quite a story um, beyond what you just do for a living, which we're going to dig into because I think it's it's fascinating and You've probably answered way too many questions already, even before we started doing this. But you also have a book. It's called How to Save a Surgeon. And um, tell me, how did the book come about? And what is your life story that we're going to find in the book? Sure, sure, sure. I'll try to give you the two-minute synopsis of... We of, have plenty of time. <laughs> we have nothing but time. <laughs> Good. Yeah, for me, I, you know, I'm born and raised in Rochester, Minnesota. And we were talking before we started. It's kind of an unassuming life that I had. Um, my father was a business owner. He owned taverns and bars. And I always say I grew up in a bar on a bar stool, which I did. His bars were unique because it was probably the, it was pre-sports bar and it was probably on the edge of what people would call biker bars, mm -hmm. so to speak. So the clientele was a little different. And when you grow up in that world, you learn conflict resolution is, is different because arguments occur out in the, in the parking lot they go stuff is settled, you come and shake your hand and you move on with life, mm -hmm. right? So it was a no-nonsense, make a decision and move on, which is probably what I do in trauma surgery quite a bit. But uh, older sister, younger brother, um, my uh, father and mother were strong Catholics. And growing up at the time I did, 70s and 80s in Catholic Church, um, it wasn't the good Catholic Church. It really wasn't. We all know that, and I'm not going to point fingers but uh, it was a lot of condemnation, a lot of guilt, and a lot of shame. And even as I moved through high school, um, we, we were one of the districts, so to speak, that was affected by the, the Boy Scouts and the sexual abuse that was occurring, and specifically in my grade school. I don't know all the details of it. Fortunately, I wasn't a, a victim of it. But growing up, as you were going to church every Sunday and the other uh, factor was my mom was was really knee deep or deeper in alcoholism. So we had an alcoholic home full of chaos. Uh, my dad trying to keep everything together working, 
And as I'm going to church every week, staring up at this God that's on a cross, it didn't take me long to learn, you never come off that cross. You mm-hmm. never come off that cross to help my family. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I hit you know, high school, college, and so on, I didn't want faith. I didn't have faith. There was nothing in it that they ever did but made me feel horrible. It was never enough. Defense mechanisms I had, though, growing up, I mean, I had my own room. I hid from the chaos, but I learned to read. And I figured out early that, you know, good grades kept me out of trouble. And so there was a skill set and a tool that I brought into my career. So, you know, high school, and it's interesting. I say God tugged at me because I went Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, Benedictine college, Jesuit medical school, Lutheran residency, but still had no faith, hmm. you know. And sometimes you're looking for a sign. It's like, well, give me a sign, God. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's 25 years of signs. <laughs> what do you want? Um, was married in residency uh, and had no skill set to bring to the marriage, nor did my wife at that time. Both of us grew up in alcoholic homes. Neither of us knew how to deal with each other, and certainly there was no faith or Christ or God-centeredness in that marriage. You know, and this builds upon the book. Um, it We did fine. We had everything you wanted. Um, she had a, a son who was six when we met, and he's my oldest boy, Nick, and he's he, he's always been my my son and always will be. And we have another son, uh, Jack, that we had just when I finished my residency. But you move through life, you get the stuff, and the stuff doesn't satisfy, and the chaos continues to happen. And when you don't have a skill set to go back on, the marriage predictably fell apart. Mm. Um, and it fell apart hard. It, uh, For me, I knew something was bigger out there. I had a sister who had strong faith. And uh, phone call after phone call after phone call with her, she finally one day said, you know, at some point, you got to stop making this call. You probably should get to know Jesus. And I just hung up the phone and said, yeah, you, I mean, here comes the Christ sandwich. Right. I don't want it. Right. But that was the night where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. There's so much chaos in the house. Um, highly successful as a surgeon, not wanting to ever make a mistake, but you can't function on that right i couldn't carry that burden yeah and i did one night i got down on my knees uh, march 1st 2014 got down on my knees and said i don't even think you exist you know i've never seen you come into to my world and help a a thing and i said but you got one shot um i was a year into my trauma surgery practice at that point so I'd, i'd done 12 years of community surgery in a town where I was well-respected, I moved to inner-city trauma, and that year really was part of the collapse because the violence and the mm. everything that was happening, it was just added another burden, and that was him. I'm like, I am a trauma surgeon. I make decisions. You have five minutes to show me that something's different, right? And uh, I stood up and instantly felt different, wow. instantly. Hmm. And uh, it was 10.30 at night on a Saturday, and I always say when you live in a a small town and your life has been radically touched by God, what do you do? You go to Walmart. (laughs) It's the only thing open. (laughs) And I went to Walmart, and it was during the Easter season, and lo and behold, there's Bibles. Mm -hmm. And I, I looked at the Bibles, and I thought, I should probably get one of those, you know. And then I opened the book, and 
it was a big print Bible. <laughs> My eyes were, you know, into the career. So, okay, you got me on that one. I can't read the best with so. And then I opened the book, and everything Jesus said is in red. I hadn't had that growing up. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, you got me twice. Mm-hmm. I can read the letters. You tell me who to talk to. And that's where the journey started. You know, I, I just went to page one. You know, what does Matthew say? And when I read through the book, I hit the story of Peter in the boat. You know, and, and Peter, in the middle of that storm, got out of the boat and, and saw Christ. And, and as he's walking and, and looking at Christ, he's fine. He turns his head. He sinks. But Christ reaches down and grabs him and says, this chokes me up every time. <laughs> he yeah, just, it's an important moment. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and Jesus just said, you know, I got this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not a very long time ago. I mean, you're talking 2014. Right. Um, and how has your life changed between that moment and now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's book-worthy, right? I mean, it's radically different. There's, there's restoration, there's healing. There's the, my life got horribly worse after I started to look at it, and, uh, but got horribly better. Paul will return with Dr. Blee in just a moment. Trauma healing is the topic of this program, and if you know of someone going through their own journey with trauma, there are resources available online at lifesupportresources.org. One-to-one care videos, blogs, and small group resources, all dealing with trauma and trauma healing. Again, that website is lifesupportresources.org and all of the resources are free to you. And now back to Pastor Paul. You know, I'm trying to find Jesus and see what's happening and, and excited and going to church and stuff, and I'm trying to bring it differently into the trauma center. But during that time, things decompensated so much at home that I figured I had to leave that house. There were things going on that not to point fingers, but my wife just made a decision then. She just didn't want to be married and did mm-hmm. things that showed she didn't want to be married. So the day that I was going to sit down and talk to my son about why I'm leaving, and my family knew uh, she faked a domestic violence, mm-hmm. um, really faked it hard. I'm trying to get away. She calls the police. I'm at my uh, in my driveway Seven cop cars pull out, guns guns pulled on me, and my son walks up. And then there's Dad with guns on him. And I said, I didn't do anything. But off I went to jail. And so the night I was supposed to explain to my son that I was leaving, I'm in jail. And, you know, moving through that process and getting out of jail within a day, but then going to work and saying, hey, I just got arrested. And then so I got suspended, precautionary suspension. I have a great medical institution that people knew me and said, we just want to keep an eye on you, mm-hmm. re- re- reduce your practice if we need to. And they had to report it to the board. So now, I'm, now my license is under review. And then within a week, I have divorce papers served to me, and I'm uh, accused of child abuse. Wow. So within, and, uh, you know, getting out of jail, I had 30 minutes with my sister and a police officer to get what I could from my house. That was the last time I was ever in my house. So I'm homeless, so to speak. Moved up to the cities with my sister. Bank accounts frozen. You know, kids don't know what to do. My son was 13 at that point. My older son was out. 
I, you know, I've got nothing. Mm-hmm. Here I am following Christ, and it's mm-hmm. like your job is on the line, your medical license is on the line, you don't have a home, you don't have bank accounts, you don't have children. And I'm like, I don't get it. I liked you better when you were on the cross and didn't do anything. But absolutely. It was quieter. <laughs> yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. And it was in that time a day or two later that I had, you know, knew there was something different. And I just prayed and I said, okay, God, if you exist and can get me out of this situation, then show me the miracles uh, and I'll write your book. I'll write the book about it. You know, that's where this book came. It's stories of impossible healing. So I started changing what I did at work and said, I'm going to collect miracles and see and work through this process. And it was a horrible process. I mean, I did not know jail, should never have been there, did not know court systems. Uh, I didn't know anything, yeah. you know, but I had a structure there in my sister in strong faith. And, you know, it's tough to explain what God does and, and put the time to it. But in the mix of this, I really started to uh, hear from God. It's like, listen, I have your kids you know they're fine you need to take care of my my kids and for me that was the youth and gang violence and so going to the hospital is when I really started to see these kids shot up you know they're they're so predictable they just come in 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 the resources we put into them but once they're alive you walk into the room and it is darkness Mm -hmm. sheets are up to their nose rooms are always dark there's no friends. There's no buddies. They got nothing. Mm-hmm. And I could walk into the room and say, um, I know exactly what you feel like. We're no different. We may look different, all, everything, but we're, we're, we're two men trying to do this differently. And that's where I would sit down and just start talking and things. So there was a time, there was a time where we had one incident in the hospital. We had two rival gangs, so to speak, two separate shootings, and the noise that follows these kids, it it shut down one wing of my trauma floor. So we have four different wings, and, and a nurse came up to me and just said, you need to go fix that. Mm-hmm. And I said, what am I supposed to do? I am the whitest guy mm-hmm. from a small town, <laughs> you know, that knows yep. nothing. And she's like, I don't know. And that's the first time I really went in and said, okay, God, if, if you're calling me to this, you'll give me the skill set. And so I walked into the room. You know, someone is a surgeon and an authority figure and tried to talk to this and calm down the situation. It felt like a brick. I mean, it was just boom. I'm like, this is horrible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but thankfully, I have another room to go to and try this again. So I, I put up my bootstraps and went in and kind of did the same thing and the the brick might have been smaller, but the sound was the same. Right. And I'll tell you, I left work that day saying, I don't get this. I don't have the skills to do it. And I turn on the radio, and there's a man telling his story about how he grew up and came into the gang life and led the biggest gang in the history of Minnesota and how he turned it around and so on. And his name was John Turnipseed, you know. And I'm like, I got to get to know that guy. And it was probably midnight that night that I'm Googling around and I come across this fellow named Steve Johnson, whom you know. And uh, <laughs> I sent him an email and I said, listen, I got a mess and I don't have a skill set. And I said, we can pull these kids out of the fire, but we don't bring them into light. I said, I need John in my hospital. 
And he answered me the next day, 8.30, and said, yeah, John wants to meet. And that's where it all started. Wow. You know? Yeah, he and John and I met, you know, uh, in downtown Minneapolis, and I said, we, we, need to, we need to make a program. I said, we need a program for life on these kids, and we need a program. And we named it Life Team. Your brother actually named it. Your brother texted me and said, it should be Life Team, and it should be Leadership in, in, uh, Impacting the Family Environment. Sent me a logo. Is that right, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Just like that. Just like that. And uh, and making that organization, bringing John in, switching hats, going to the inner city, walking the streets, learning everything, and John coming to the hospitals where we developed this program and in the meantime collected our stories and wrote the book. The thing that's impressive, though, is um, as I listen to you talk, even before you met John, you saw these kids as valuable. And... So many times we're just kind of, you know, watching the news or reading, reading, we're online just watching all of this violence happen in front of us. We don't know these people, just another victim. Right. But you were up close and personal. And so what was God tugging at you and saying to you when you were working on these kids? Yeah. So one thing, you know, even in the work I do now with guys that are so down in the dumps, I'll say only God can change definitions. You know, mm-hmm. your chasing down money and he'll give you wealth you want happiness he'll give you joy you're burning on both ends and you're so tired you want to sleep god will give you rest prior to march 1st 2014 i had no definition to go to i would have you know i I was coming in as the authority figure as the surgeon and so on and it's like you listen to me because that's it there was and there was compassion i mean i i do well with my patients so i don't want to take that away from what i've done but it was the definition change mm-hmm. where, where God can say, listen, these are hurting people. These are people, and they're hurting, and they're my children. You know, it was the definition change that allowed me to look at a lot of things differently. Wouldn't have happened without that right. March 1st. Well, I think it also comes down to a biblical worldview, right? Right. Um, we're made in the image of God. Every one of these kids, every every person that you come across as made in the image of God. God loves them just as much. You have Christ. Maybe they don't. But that's not something to to be proud about either. That's also a gift from God. Right, right. And so when we can walk with that worldview, we see people differently. Absolutely. You do. And you know what? That's, uh, that's where the magic happens, so to speak. That's where the mystery occurs. That's where you can, I, I, I tell guys the same thing. You can have a pretty darn good life without God. You can have a great life without God. You'll never do the impossible hmm. without getting God involved. You, you will just have that life that's okay. You know, that worldview that, that you know, putting on the different glasses, um, I work with a lot of guys in addiction, and they're just like, it's just not going to be any fun being sober. I'm like, don't go for fun. Go for amazing. Right. Right? Right. And why Christ? Because that's where you're going to get it. Yeah. I've I've often pondered Jesus' words about abundant life and have often thought, what exactly is that? What is he offering? Because I'm not into the prosperity gospel, so I'm not moving over to the health and wealth area. Um, so I don't think he means we're going to get, like our lives are going to be swimmingly perfect. Um, I know that there's something here beyond just eternity. So often as Christians, we talk about heaven. That's great. We should. But what is he offering here now? Right. He said abundant life. So there must be something there. Right. You know, and <laughs> right. that can only be found through him. Right. 
And it's a good question. It's a big question yeah. because so many times, and you know this, okay, I'll follow God. I'll make Jesus my Savior. Why is it so hard? I mean, I don't know how many times I get on my knees and saying, I know why people don't follow you. It's too hard. Mm-hmm. But what he says, though, too, is part of the abundance is everyone's going through this. Ride it out with me. It's the waves up and the waves down. You know, but watch what I do with this. That's the abundance. Watch how I flip this. Watch how I... And he does. Mm-hmm. Blow your mind. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know. And I think what we also have to understand is that we're... We are, are smack in the middle of a, a good versus evil spiritual war. Sure. And uh, sometimes we downplay that, I think, because we don't see it. We can't see it with our eyes necessarily. We see the effects of it for sure. Right. Um, but life sometimes is hard because we are in that mix. Mm-hmm. And that, that is an intense spiritual battle. There's a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. We know which one wins. Yep. Yeah. But we also know there's a war going on until that happens. Right. And it's a hard thing. I mean, being worn out right now, being exhausted right now, being to the end of your rope right now doesn't mean you're losing that battle. Mm-hmm. It means you're in it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good right. encouragement for a lot of people because, um, you know, people drag themselves to church and they're not going to show anybody that they're hurting. They're not going to show anyone that they're tired, they're they're frustrated, they're discouraged. Um because they think that they have to fit into some kind of a, you know, this construct of, I'm a Christian. Right, and right. And this happy, is awesome. Happy go And I listened to KTIS this morning. We love KTIS. Sure. But there's more to life than that. And they're afraid to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm really struggling. Mm-hmm. Number one, they're afraid of being judged. Number two, they don't think anybody will understand them. Number three, they feel shame because that's not how Christians are supposed to act. Right. Sadly. Right. That's part of being in the battle. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you know, and just a couple of thoughts because, you know, there's two things. If you want to be forgiven, go talk to Jesus. Guaranteed. Yep. If you want to be healed, like the book of James says, you got to talk to each other. Yeah. And then pray. And the talking to each other goes down to, to truth-telling. You know, I... I've been on this journey the last six, eight months, and I, I don't know if you've seen Jamie Winship's work and Donna Winship. Fascinating, but it's identity work and, and where, where these two have gone in the Middle East and anti-terrorism and all this stuff. But it comes to, it boiled it down so much for me and what we're facing here. But that identity each one of us has, given by God, knitted in us in our womb, that identity is where God's like, I want to work on you. And that you can't be in your identity without telling the truth. These kids that are in the gangs are in this false identity in the world in that battle, and that only brings chaos. It brings mm-hmm. self-destruction, self-promotion, especially in men not in their true identity. They are in that guilt, shame, isolation. And Christianity right now, it's like, what's the identity we're supposed to have as Christians? The struggle, I think, in the churches and stuff is that my... It's given into, like you said, the prosperity gospel and doing all these different things to say we're this huge church. You know, it's in the book of Revelation where Jesus said, I got something against every church. Yeah. We're not perfect. But the identity, when you when you struggle with that, that's where that it just it's an awful place to be. And it but it's uh it's amazing how you can get into your true identity. You just ask God. Right. And talk to him. And then right. be okay with um what he has for you. All right, right. the book is How to Save a Surgeon. 
Dr. Tom Lee, where can we get the book? It's on Amazon. You can Google my name, B-L-E-E. You can Google How to Save a Surgeon. It's interesting because there's a different book called How to Save a Surgeon, and you can almost predict what that <laughs> genre is. <laughs> they live, but that's good and evil right there on Amazon, so wow. that's the easiest. Yeah, Goodreads has it and so on. Well, um, we're going to have you back, and I want to talk to you more about what a trauma surgeon actually does because it's fascinating to me. But um, it's awesome to see how you're you're using what God has given you and your natural gifts to really minister to people. Um, it's it's really neat to hear about your life change, and and thank you for being honest that it's not all a bed of roses. Yeah, no, you're welcome. And because thank, people need to hear that. Yeah, happy. and we need to stick together. Right? Amen. So thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Appreciate it very much. You know, as we're talking, I'm thinking of uh, Lamentations uh, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Uh, The Bible tells us the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And no, it's not easy to be in this spiritual battle. It's not easy to be a believer, but... We do know that God walks with us every step of the way. There is something abundant, something rewarding there that you can't get anywhere else. Not to mention the assurance of a future beyond this life that is so desperately important. So if you don't know Jesus, uh, talk to a pastor, talk to a friend. um, Email me here at Ridgewood Church. I'd love to have a conversation with you because with God... He is faithful every single day. And thanks so much for listening to us here on Life Support. I want to thank our wonderful sponsors. Uh, They are fantastic. Faith Radio at MyFaithRadio.com. You can see a video version of this podcast at FiveStoneMedia.com. And we'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. to this Life Support Podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.